Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to you today. We are going to conclude our series today of Isaiah's Messiah with Lesson 9, Victor. We're going to talk about the topic of Victor. I want to just briefly review all of this chapter very briefly with you. If you'll recall, this entire section begins really in Isaiah 52, verse 13, all the way through chapter 53. It's all one section, all one message, and that was just a difference of opinion in the translators when they divided the chapters and the verses. But we see that this is, in fact, tied to the Torah. There are many ways where we see all of the elements of things that were either patterned in the Torah or demanded in the Torah, and how in this chapter we see that Isaiah's Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, actually does fulfill them all, every single one, every point. So it's very important for us to know and understand this chapter. This servant that Isaiah is prophesying about who will be the Messiah, will also be a suffering servant. He is the root of Jesse, the son of David. He will be rejected and be a man of sorrows, yet through his death he will accomplish much. He's silently led to the slaughter as the Lamb of God dying for the sins of the world, and he did die without objection and without revolt. Jesus was the offering that pleased the Lord and allowed God's pleasure, his greatest delight of mercy, to be opened up for the whole world to freely receive. Jesus was satisfied with the end results of all of his labors because his joy was us. We were the prize. Relationship with us was what he wanted. So today in our lesson, we're going to see God's view of all of this and see how God responded. We're going to conclude the chapter of Isaiah 53 and this discussion of Isaiah's Messiah and see how God wraps it up and we want to discuss the topic of the victor. There's an old proverb or an old adage, at least in the United States, that says, to the victor belong the spoils or to the victor go the spoils. can be translated either way. It was first used in 1831 by a United States Senator, and it typically means that in some war or other contest, the victor is entitled to the booty or the spoils. We see that actually played out many times in the Old Testament in the Scriptures. Obviously, the Scriptures were written very much before this man ever even made that statement, and perhaps he made that statement because he knew the Scriptures taught such a principle. But one of the greatest examples we see that in is with the kings, with David in particular. He was a man of war, and many times he was entitled to spoils of war. I want us to begin today by reading Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 10, and we'll read all the way through the end of the chapter. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, 
and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. So we've looked at this entire chapter and this entire section and passage from Isaiah 52, verse 13, all the way through, now concluding it with chapter 53, verse 12. So let's talk about verse 12 today. The promise of God the Father to his Son, Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, the victor, was that he would divide him a portion with the great. He would assign or distribute. He would apportion or share. He would have plunder, so to speak. He would divide him a portion with the great. Other places in Scripture can give a little bit of understanding that will help us in terms of this portion. I want to read Psalm 16 and verse 5 says this, O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. In other words, David here is declaring Messiah's victory. This is a prophetic psalm in many ways, and we've seen that in some of the other verses through many of our studies. The Lord is our portion and the one who sustains us, maintains our lot, our destiny, and he is the one who has given us the victory. He is speaking of the Lord's portion, Jesus, the Messiah. In Psalm 142, in this psalm, David is crying out to the Lord, and this is his plea. He is speaking faithfully and in a faith-filled declaration. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. So David now understands that the Lord is the portion and the victor, but he also understands he's mine. He's my Lord. He's my portion. Lamentations. In Lamentations, what has happened is that God has come in and judged Judah with the Babylonian captivity and taken them away as captives. And Lamentations is Jeremiah, who was considered to be the weeping prophet. This is his book where he shares his deep grief over the loss of his nation and over the destruction of his nation. But yet in the middle of this book, in Lamentations chapter 3, I want to begin reading in verse 21. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. So not only does God divide a portion with Jesus because of what he's done, but then 
we read in this same verse in Isaiah 53 that Jesus then apportions us part of that share. The Lord said he would divide a portion for Jesus, the spoil, with the great. That word means abundant or much or many. It can be identified as, I love this one, multiplied by the myriad. In other words, uncountable or innumerable. It is so vast and so mighty and so great. It can also be translated as captain or great ones. The root word means to cast together. Jesus is definitely the great, the greatest, actually. And we're going to see that as we go through here and we read more scriptures. He also divides the spoils with others that are called the strong by Isaiah in this passage. So now Jesus is granted all the spoils because he is the victor. And now he gives a share of those to others who are called by Isaiah as the strong. This word can mean strong or powerful ones. It can also mean many, numerous, or countless. It reminds me of the scriptures such as in Daniel chapter 7, Revelation chapter 7 verse 9, Revelation 19 6, and Hebrews 12 22 through 24 which talk about the great multitudes of believers and saints that cannot even be numbered in that day. So this also is speaking of him being the portion and the distributor to the many or his church, his body, of their portions also. A similar concept to when Joshua, in the book of Joshua, was dividing the land and allotting to each tribe their land for their inheritance to the children of Israel. It's a similar concept. There's portions that God has given to the victor, Jesus Christ, who he will then now share and distribute to us. It ultimately has a connection to the church in the context here in Isaiah 53, and it speaks of the time after Jesus' death and resurrection. Even Jesus himself spoke of this in John chapter 13. I want to read verses 1 through 8, and then I want to speak about what he tells us in verse 8. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, this was at the last supper, the last Passover Seder Jesus had with his disciples here. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now but you will know after this. 
Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Jesus made very clear that in this act, he was showing them and he was teaching them that he is the one who will bring a share and a portion and a division of allotment to them. And it's through this act that he would then be able to impart that to them. Now, I did, for the last several years, I've done several Holy Week specials or Passion Week specials. And the first ones were called Holy Week Special. And in the last two years, it's been Passover Passion the first volume, and then Passover Passion, volume two. In one of those, I believe it was the first Passover Passion I did, there is a message entitled Portion, and I get into detail about John 13, verse 8, and look at this in more detail than than what I can do now. But I will say this in this episode today. At that same event, Jesus had also declared to them probably either right before this happens with Peter or right after. We do not know the exact time frame because it's recorded in another gospel. John records here where Jesus told Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you'll have no part in me. But when we go to Luke chapter 22, we find out more details about what Jesus may have been referring to In Luke chapter 22, verses 28 through 30, say this, But you, Jesus is speaking here, but you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So Jesus is telling them that they will have a part in his kingdom, a portion they will share with him in that coming age, even in perhaps judging, sitting on thrones and judging the people of Israel by the scriptures. So this may be very likely, I believe, is the part or the portion that Jesus was referring to when he talked to Peter. So Jesus is telling them, I'm receiving a kingdom and you're going to have a share in that kingdom. God had already promised this in several places in the Old Testament, including Daniel chapter 7, but also here we see him mention it, God mention it through Isaiah in Isaiah 53. Now, Isaiah 53, verse 12 also gives us God's reason, God's basis for why Jesus is exalted and glorified in this way. His exaltation from the Father. God lists four specific reasons, four specific things that are the basis for this. He says, first, He poured out his soul to death. In other words, he did not love and prize his life here, but rather he was willing to lose it 
and lay it down for a greater prize. I want us to look next at John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, verse 20, beginning in verse 20, it says this, Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. So the context that Jesus is speaking this in is a context talking about his death and what it will do for the whole world, not just for the Jewish people. In the context here, some Greeks have come wanting to see Jesus. And Jesus is not turning them away. He's not saying, I don't want to have anything to do with you. He's saying that I've come to the house of Israel, but I'm that grain of wheat. I'm going into the ground and my death and my burial and my resurrection will then release a produce, a harvest that can go to the entire world and reach you, all of you. It will reach the whole world. I dealt with this topic in Passover Passion Volume 2 in the episode called Produce. And I dealt with this in much more detail. But here, Jesus is saying, I'm your example. I'm laying down my life. I'm not loving my life in this world. I'm willing to give it up because there's a greater prize ahead. He is our example. And he never asks us to do anything that he himself either won't do or has not already done. If we look in other places in the scripture, we see where he instructs us to do similarly. Not that we have to get on a cross and die a physical death. That's not what he's saying. But we need to love our life less. We need to love our life in the sense that we, we love him more. We seek him first. We honor him. We yield to him our ways. We yield to him our days. We let him decide. And he is the one we love the most. And we give up our own wants and our own desires. That's what he's talking about. We can read some places about that. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 37 through 39, he says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. In Matthew 16, we find similar words. Beginning in verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. So notice here in this passage that Jesus is speaking both of pouring out your life in a sense, in the sense that you love him more than family, you love him more than life itself. But he also mentions here the concept of rewards, dividing of the spoils, as we talked about earlier. There are other places in the Gospels where Jesus speaks of this similarly. But right now I want us to see Paul speak of this in the very last chapter of the very last book that Paul wrote to the people of God. It was a a book for young Timothy, and it's found in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 through 8. And it's for the church, even though he wrote it directly to young Timothy. It was circulated and known and included in the canon of Scripture because of its message to the church as well. Look at Paul's example. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8 says this, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul promises this to young, to young Timothy and to all of the church. He says he's poured out like a drink offering. In the Old Testament, in the temple and in the tabernacle, there were times where God had instructed them and called for wine or water oblations, where the wine or the water would be poured out before the Lord as an offering. And Paul says, in a sense, that that's what losing his life is. Giving it up for Jesus. Giving it up for his call on his life. Paul went through many hard times, but he had one focus, and it was the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was the spreading of the word of God and the making of disciples. He was living for Jesus. He was not living for himself. And that's the example that Jesus taught us to have because that's exactly what Jesus did. He lived for the Father's will, not his own. Even throughout the Garden of Gethsemane and all the way through the cross, he still gave himself up for the Father's will. He was poured out like a drink offering. And Paul attests to that as well. God commends his son for pouring out his life to meet the Father's demands and be our sacrifice. He commends him for giving up his life and laying it down, like he said in John chapter 10. Secondly, he was numbered with the transgressors. This speaks of his humility, his willingness to be abased, humiliated, and humbled through the death on the cross, even to the point that he would be considered a common criminal, dying a criminal's death 
even though he knew this was not true. Paul attests to this fact in the book of Philippians. I want to begin the reading in Philippians chapter 2, and I want to start in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross which was a humiliating death, treated like a common criminal. Therefore, God exalted him and has given him the name that is above every name. Thirdly, Isaiah tells us here that God honored him also because he bore the sin of many. We talked in the last episode a little bit about this, how he lifted, carried away, removed, took away all of our sins, exactly like John the Baptist had prophetically said in John chapter 1, verse 29. John the Baptist knew who Jesus was. He knew he was the Messiah that was prophesied of old. He knew he was Isaiah's Messiah. John was the one who knew he was only the forerunner that had been prophesied in Malachi chapter 3. But all through the Gospels, we can see various elements of John the Baptist's testimony of who Jesus was before and after Jesus came to him to be baptized. There was only one time that John had a question about or wondered about it. And it was when things were going along. He was arrested and put in prison and going to be executed, etc. And it didn't seem like to him that it was quite what he expected to be turning out. He perhaps had some other thought about how he and Messiah would work together. I don't know. But this kind of tripped up a lot of people as well. So John, instead of accusing Jesus or thinking wrongly, he sent men to ask Jesus the truth. And Jesus responded lovingly to John, And if you continue reading in those passages, lovingly of John as well. And Jesus basically told him, don't doubt. Trust me because I am fulfilling the scriptures and what they foretold about Messiah. Jesus removed the sin of the world as a free gift to all who would receive him, to all who would believe in him. And lastly, he made intercession for the transgressors. We see in several places in the Gospels where he would steal away to pray, where he would weep over Jerusalem. We see even in his high priestly prayer of John 17, this is very evident. In Gethsemane, he was interceding for the transgressors when he laid down his life and said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. We see it at the cross when he cried out things like, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I dealt with some of these in a Holy Week special entitled Cries from the Cross. And so I would direct you to perhaps look at those because Jesus made seven final cries from the cross and each one of them is important and special. But he was asking the Father to release the atonement. 
because the sacrifice had now been made. And because of these things that God lists, mercy now can triumph over judgment. And God has highly exalted him. I want to read again in Philippians chapter 2. And I want to read beginning in verse 8, this portion again, and conclude it with verse 11. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Praise God for Isaiah's Messiah. He is highly exalted. He has the name above every other name. He is Yeshua HaMashiach, and he has come and paid the price for everyone who will believe and receive him so that they then are forgiven of all their sins and are able to be with him forever. What a Messiah we have. What a Messiah that Isaiah told us about. Praise be to God for the Messiah that God sent to the world. Jesus, the Savior of the world. Yeshua, the Christ, the Messiah. Praise God. I trust that this series has been a blessing to you and that you are growing to know Jesus more and more and more, that you have come to him and found forgiveness of your sins in him through faith in his name, through faith in his finished work that he has done on your behalf. I pray that you are blessed of God as you continue to learn about him and to grow as his disciple. And may you be able to join us again for more messages given through Covenant Truth Ministries as the Lord leads us. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.